0: Amen. Thank you for that wonderful singing. Thank you, Jake and Emily, for your leadership here with our music this morning. And it is a wonder, isn't it? Isn't it just overwhelming to think that God loves us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The book of James, chapter number 1. Book of James, chapter number 1. We are slowly working our way through this great epistle. James, the half-brother of Jesus, called to be the pastor at Jerusalem Saved at a little bit later age in life, post-resurrection of his half-brother Jesus, who became his Savior, whom he had rejected for so long growing up. And then he, after the resurrection of Christ, he turned in repentance of his sins and turned to faith in Christ and Christ alone for his salvation. And James became a leader in the church, pastor at Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, we see his leadership on display as the church is trying to figure out how to assimilate the Gentiles into the church. It's the Jews and the Gentiles and all of that tension there, and God used James in a tremendous way. And we see the way in which that situation was handled so gracefully, and the Gentiles were brought into the church and accepted. And Paul himself would later become the apostle to the Gentiles. But now we see James writing with a tremendous burden for his own people, the Jews. James 1 in verse number 1, he wrote there, A servant of God, James a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad greeting. He was burdened for his own people. He was burdened for the Jews. But he was also burdened for them spiritually. And then, of course, by the inspiration of God's word, the preservation of his word for us today, we know that this epistle is written for us as well here in the 21st century. Truths that God wants us to know, God wants us to apply in our daily lives. And James packs a powerful punch as he writes this epistle, as he preaches this epistle. There are times where he does not hold back. He does not mince words. He deals with the issues very strongly. And we have seen already that James was burdened for the Jews who had been persecuted, who had been scattered abroad. They had, in many cases, left everything. They had lost everything. They had been persecuted for their faith, in some cases for their ethnicity, or both. They were scattered abroad. They had been through much trial, tribulation, and temptation. And so he wrote, as we have studied as we have looked at already in verse number two, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. And we work through this passage on how to count it all joy. We talked about four words and what to consider and how to consider it all joy and four principles of how to handle suffering. I won't reiterate and rehearse all of that, But then we came to verse 13 last week. What we read in James 1 and verse 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. he transitions from a specific dealing with trials that could involve suffering in general, diverse temptations, diverse trials, diverse forms and types of suffering, To this area of temptation to sin. Because as we looked at last week, anytime we go through suffering, anytime we go through trials, there is a temptation to sin in that temptation, in that trial, in that suffering. There's a temptation to become bitter, to become angry, to accuse God of unfaithfulness, or to maybe quit being faithful, to drop out in our service for the Lord. In some cases, for those who are unsaved, the trial actually is a way of exposing one's lack of faith. The fact that there's no trust, there's no faith in Christ at all. For the believer, that temptation in that suffering could just be to be discouraged, to become unfaithful, to look away, to get... Uh, out of sorts with God and to maybe become bitter or to get upset with other people in the church or get so upset at God that we leave the church and we leave faithful service and obedient living. So even in the suffering, there is a temptation. But then James goes further and he deals with temptation to sin in a general sense, not just in suffering where there's a temptation become bitter or angry or to get mad at God, but a temptation to sin out of the own lusts and desires of our hearts. And we dealt with that in this passage, and we talked about three things to consider when tempted to sin. We talked about considering the consequences, considering God's judgment. Verse 14 talks about lust, desire. Desire that gets out of control and we're drawn away. We are caught by the hook as we see the lure, as we see the baits, as we are tempted. We're drawn away. We are caught up in that temptation, that lure, that bait. Fixes on our desires. Lust often has a negative connotation. But in its just general basic sense, lust is just desire. We talked about how desires that are out of the will of God. That are not in God's order. Not in God's timing. That are beyond what God allows. That are not within His boundaries. God has given us good desires, natural desires that are part of living. But when we get them outside of God's order, God's design, God's boundaries, not according to His will, they are temptations to sin. They are lusts. To sin. And he talks about in verse 15: then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Death, in the sense of a believer, it is a broken fellowship. It is a loss of spiritual confidence. It is a loss of joy. It is a disappointment in having failed our Savior and not living up to the measure, the standard of holiness. For an unbeliever, that death can literally be the hardening of one's heart as one continues in one's sin, contrary to God and to his law. And for the unsaved, that temptation to sin can be just another futile attempt at finding satisfaction outside of God. So when we are tempted, as believers, we must consider the consequences we must consider God's judgment upon that sin. Death is a serious consequence. We know that when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they immediately spiritually died. And they began to physically die. And now death has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So we know that there is death in the world today in a general sense because of sin. Adam and Eve began that. We in Adam sinned. We can't sit there and say, oh, I wouldn't have been so foolish as Adam. I wouldn't have done what Eve did. No, each and every one of us would have been guilty. We would have done the same thing. We can't think that we would be above them. We looked at this passage in detail last week, and we talked about this process of the temptation of lust, When it has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. And then the warning in verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. James comes right out and says, don't fall into this error. Don't go down the path of temptation. Instead of going down that path, not only consider the consequences of our sin, of God's judgment upon sin, but then also consider God's goodness. And we touched on this just briefly as... We were running out of time last week in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and coming down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So we not only consider the consequences, God's judgment on sin, but we also consider God's goodness. When there is temptation, we also need to remember God's goodness. God gives only good gifts. If it comes from God, it must be good. We have to remember that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But God only gives good gifts. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. God only gives good gifts and the way God gives is always good. He always gives in a way That is in keeping with his character, with his attributes, with his holiness, with his love. God gives good gifts in a good way. His way is perfect. And notice we also see that he gives constantly. He gives faithfully. We see there every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of Turning cometh down has the idea of keeps on coming. So we don't have to worry about whether we live to be 45, 55, 60, 75, 80, 90, 100. God doesn't run out. He doesn't exhaust his ability to give grace, to give good gifts. We don't have to worry about like we do with our economy. If we're going to run out of oil because of lack of drilling or fracking or whatever. We don't have to worry about some natural resource. We, in our economy, we worry about a natural resource, about our bank account, our investments, our money, the stock market. But our God is not that way. Our God is not based on the S&P 500. Our God is not one that we go up and we wake up in the morning, we look at our accounts and we look at where the stock market is and we say, well... You know, God was good yesterday by 500 points, but he's bad today by 500. That's not our God. He is consistently, faithfully, always good. He gives good gifts, and he loves to give good gifts, and he keeps giving good gifts. He does not change like the shadows change. They shift, bigger, smaller, shift in place. God does not change like the shadows The phrase Father of Light speaks to the fact that He is the creator of all the heavenly bodies. If He was able to create the entire universe and set all the heavenly bodies in perfect order in His created perfection, I know that sin has corrupted this universe and all creation groans, but still, God created when He created the universe. It was very good. And He created the universe... And it's designed so that all the planets and all the solar and lunar systems and all of that are in perfect synchronization for us to live and for us to have our being for our seasons, for our days, our months, our weeks, and our years. He's the Father of lights. He is perfectly holy in His consistency and His faithfulness. There's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God does not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today... And forever. So when we're tempted, do we consider God's goodness? When that temptation comes and it comes strong, do we say, well, you know what? If I mess up on this, it's because God wasn't really good to me. God shortchanged me. If I just went my own way, then I would really get what's good for me. Isn't that a lie from Satan? Adam and Eve were in the perfect garden. They ignored God's goodness in a garden of perfection, in a universe that was very good it was made it was without sin created by God and Adam and Eve they ignored God's goodness this beautiful garden that they had been given dominion over that they could work without the sweat of their brow without pain and toil and fatigue and all of the uh, ways in which sin has cursed this earth they had the chance to the opportunity to dress the garden to have dominion over the earth And to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. But they ignored God's goodness. They listened to Satan, who caused them to doubt. Hath God said, God has withheld something good from you. You need this knowledge of evil. It will make you something special. The pride that was in Satan's heart that caused him to be cast out of heaven. And we know that Satan used that same prideful deception with Adam and Eve, and they questioned God. They questioned His goodness. God is keeping something from us. I deserve better. We live in a world today of the victim mentality, and everybody owes me something. I'm not going to work for that wage, because don't you know who I am? I deserve better. It's a shame, isn't it, that our great state of Indiana is being mocked in the news, because a uh, inmate was let out of the Marion County Jail. They just spent millions of dollars on building this huge criminal justice building and headquarters. And two days after this man was arrested for a brutal murder, he's by clerical error allowed to go free. And as far as I know he has not been caught. I, I haven't seen the news this morning. Maybe he did get caught. But somebody said well, maybe the people, and I, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for them because they lost their jobs. But I don't know what the checks and balances were. I don't know. I mean, I go and buy a house or I go open up a bank account and supervisor after supervisor, it seems like, comes and checks and double checks the paperwork. I don't know how they would let this guy out. But they're, they're, they're even saying, well, maybe those people who were the clerics who were in the office, the office assistants, Uh, Maybe they just didn't feel like they were making enough money to do the job that they were doing. So they just felt like they didn't care. And somebody else came on and said, well, shouldn't they care? This is about human life. This is about safety. This is about justice. Who cares how much you're making? You don't let a criminal, a violent criminal, out on the streets. But the mentality in our culture now is I am the victim. I am owed. And rights... Without relationship, produce rebellion. And when rights are all about me and my expressive individualism, then I am the one who determines what is good and what is bad and what is right and what is wrong. And so God can't possibly be good if he keeps this from me. I should be able to indulge myself in it and ignore what God says. That is the deception of the heart if we don't consider God's goodness. In the midst of our temptation. Remember he is the father of lights. There is no variableness. There is no shadow of turning. He is the giver of good gifts. And of perfect gifts. So consider God's goodness. When you are tempted. David ignored the goodness of God. When he sinned with Bathsheba. God had given him wives. Now in that day he did sin. In the sense of polygamy. He had more than one wife. That was wrong. That was against God's order, and he suffered the consequences for that. But the point is, God had given him a wife. Yet he would steal Uriah's wife and commit adultery with Bathsheba. He didn't consider the consequences God's judgment, but he also didn't consider God's goodness, that God had already blessed him with a wife. I already mentioned that Adam and Eve ignored the goodness of God in a perfect garden. And how many times are we guilty of the same? But on a positive note, what about Joseph? In the book of Genesis, tempted by Potiphar's wife, who came every day trying to seduce him. Day after day, continually, she was trying to provoke him into sin. And in Genesis 39, in verse number 9, we read, As Potiphar's wife came and tempted Joseph again and tried to seduce him, Joseph answers with this in Genesis 39 and verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He considered God's Judgment, the consequences of his sin, and he also considered God's goodness. God has been so good to me. How can I sin against a holy God, a good God who has put this boundary in my life for my good and for his glory? I will not cross that boundary. And it cost him his job. He ended up in an Egyptian dungeon, not an American prison. An Egyptian dungeon. And was left there for years. But he continued to remain faithful to the Lord. He considered God's goodness. So we consider the consequences of our sin. God's judgment. We consider God's goodness. And then also in verse 18, we consider the divine nature within. The fact that we have the Holy Spirit and we are partakers of the the divine nature. Verse 18, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we see there the facts of our salvation in summary form. We're saved by the word of God, the word of truth. Pardon me here, I had a little bit of allergy problems this morning. But we see of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So it speaks to our salvation. We consider the divine nature within. We consider our salvation when we are tempted. 2 Peter 1 and verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So as a believer, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. We are partakers of the divine nature. So when temptation comes, we are to once again consider the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, that we are a child of God, that we are born of God. We're born of him, born again. 1 John 3 and verse number 9 speaks to God's seed. 1 John 3 and verse 9 talks talks about being born of God and being God's seed, God's children. So as we're tempted to sin, think about how that is going to violate that principle. So if I can illustrate it this way in the form of a family or a family type of situation. You've heard the statement maybe made well, that would ruin the family's name. If you do that, if you go there, if you act in that way, if you behave in that way, you will soil the family's name. You will bring reproach upon the family's name. So that's part of what James is trying to say here. He's saying that we have been born of God by the word of truth. So then faith cometh by hearing, in hearing by the word of God. So we have been saved by faith. For We know in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, that is the gospel, that is the power of God unto salvation. So it's our salvation that comes by hearing the word of God, by receiving the word of God. And that's where he is going to shift our thinking as we continue in this passage he is now beginning to shift our thinking as we are dealing with temptation considering the consequences considering God's goodness and considering the divine nature within he's pointing us to how we respond to the word of God it is the word of God that saved us it is the word of truth it is the power of God unto salvation being born again, 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Proverbs 4 and verse 18, but the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. So as we face temptation, we are remembering who we are in Christ, that we have been saved By the power of the gospel. And the gospel is what saves us, but the gospel is also what sustains us as we're battling the temptations of this world. The word of God is what we claim. The word of God is our sword of the spirits. Ephesians 6. And every piece of the armor in Ephesians 6 all reflects back upon the attributes of God, the character of God, and the revelation of God and his word. So the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, all of those that we have as defensive armor. We come back in Ephesians 6 or come down to the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Of his own will, he begat us, begat he us with the word of truth. And then he goes on further and he says in verse 18 at the end there that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the first fruits is a reference to the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy 26 there's 19 verses. First 19 verses of Deuteronomy 26 talk about the law of the first fruits. In it's the reminder in Moses' last sermon in Deuteronomy 26 about how they are to give of the first and of the best of their crops. Now, I have been, I've done a little bit of traveling this week, not a whole lot, but just in the area here. And there have been farmers out already harvesting. I have been dodging farm equipment, combines, and all kinds of different places around town. Uh, it's, it's great. I love it. I love it, because I'm, I'm, again, I'm a city kid. I grew up in Indianapolis, and we had a couple of fields across the street from where we lived. Uh, But I love being out in the the country and driving some of these back roads, and all of a sudden you're faced with some spider-looking combine coming right at you, and he takes over the whole road, and you have to get over, and he's trying to get over, and sometimes you feel like you can just drive right underneath some of those things, right? But the harvest has begun. Under Old Testament law, the first and the best... Is given to God. So let's think about this. The, the law in Exodus 23, the law in Leviticus 23, we just talked about Deuteronomy 26. As Jews, they understood the Mosaic law, they understood the law of the first fruits. So when James mentions the first fruits of his creatures, that speaks to us giving our very best living worthy of the calling with which we have been called. Ephesians 4, verse number 1. Living up to the family name. As we face temptation and we consider the consequences and we consider God's goodness, should we not also consider our great salvation, the divine nature, that we are partakers of the divine nature? How can we As the best and the first, as He saves us and He presents us to the Father as the first fruits of His creatures, how can we be so wicked and evil to participate in that sinful activity and to bring reproach upon Christ's name? To not live worthy of the calling with which we have been called, not living up to the standard, not being in our sanctification, what we already are in Christ as clothed in his righteousness, but then not living up to that. James is really making a good point here about how we are to respond in temptation. And the fact that he brings up the word of truth helps us to understand that in facing temptation, we must answer with the word of God, as Jesus himself did in Matthew 4. And each category of temptation, Jesus answers with the word of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. So we consider the consequences, God's judgment. We consider God's goodness. And we consider that we are partakers of the divine nature. We consider the great salvation that we have in Christ. That helps us in defeating temptation. But notice as he has brought up the word of truth... We transition to verse 19, and we'll just be able to get this next paragraph. But he's continuing in this aspect of hearing the word of God. He's brought up the word of truth. He's reflected upon the fact that we need the word of God in our response to temptation, and he continues to expand that. In verse 19, when he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And if you'll notice, the rest of the paragraph that we just read all has to do with hearing, receiving, and doing the word. So let's dwell on this phrase for the remainder of our time here. Let every man be swift to hear. Quick. To hear, swift to hear. There's a reason God gave us two ears. We have a ministry as a church to those who are hearing impaired. The value of hearing. So much of life has to do with sound. Many of us, we are throughout our day listening to music or podcasts or even at your workplace, there may be background music. I understand that I don't know if this is still a true science today or marketing way or method today, but I understand that they will play certain music in grocery stores at certain times or in restaurants at certain times because if they want you to eat quick or shop quick and get out, they put music on that agitates. So they'll put the harder rock and the harder sounds because they want you to be agitated so that you'll get your shopping done and get out of there because you're irritated by that. I mean, it's no wonder they put hard, heavy metal music down in Guantanamo Bay to torture the prisoners down there, okay? There's a, there's a way in which that sound affects the human body. We won't get into all the, the things about music, but it's just interesting, the effect of sound. Listening, hearing, how important that is. And we live in a world today where listening skills are greatly lacking. It is really, really bad. It's, it's hard not to find somebody nowadays, especially younger people, who don't have at least one earbud in. We told our kids, if you are listening to something around the house, you can't have two earbuds in. You have to be able to hear us. Sometimes it is just headphones and the whole world is blocked out. We are accustomed now to not just earbuds and headphones, but in the social media, the shorts and the reels, And the commercials, the TikToks, and then scrolling or doom scrolling. Our attention spans, our listening skills are greatly lacking. If you've ever been in a classroom environment or a teaching environment, you know how quickly children are distracted nowadays. And we kept cell phones out of our classrooms the whole time I was uh, the administrator of our school. We did not allow cell phones in the classroom. It was bad enough when we had to put a Chromebook or some sort of device that they were to work on. I resisted that for as long as I could, and I was called you know, out of touch and irrelevant sometimes, and the students were clamoring, oh, I'll be a smarter student if I just had a computer in my, at my desk, right? And we found out that many times those became bigger distractions than they were actually educational. Listening skills. It's rare to find someone who was a good listener, And we're so distracted. We have distractions all the time. Us as husbands, we get in big trouble because we're watching the football game and we don't put the remote down or mute the TV when our wives are talking to us. And we're saying, "Uh mm uh-huh, yeah, sure. And then when the game's over and they remind us of what they said, we have no clue. Well, I told you 15 minutes ago, but there was a game on. (laughs) We're in trouble our children are in trouble because they don't listen. They don't receive what we are saying. We're so distracted. And James, I can't help but think, he's dealing with suffering. He's dealing with temptation to sin. And he is dealing with who knows what in the culture that is distracting them from listening, hearing, receiving the Word of God. We must be quick. That word quick or swift is the idea of being ready Ready to hear. Attentive to. The antenna is up. The satellite dish is pointing in the right direction. Spiritually speaking, we are in tune with God so that we are ready to receive his word. Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth, Samuel said. Simple truth that would help us tremendously, right? If we just obeyed a simple truth like what Samuel did with God, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. I am in tune. I am attentive to your word. As we conclude this message and before we have a new member testimony, I want us to see this pattern throughout Scripture. I want us to see this truth, this principle, this matter of hearing, receiving the word of God. We can go back to the Garden of Eden where God Clearly stated what Adam and Eve's responsibilities were in the garden so when the temptation came they couldn't say well and I know they tried to use this kind of excuse well God said we can't even so much as touch and people argue about whether that was an addition to the word of God but we see Adam and Eve Eve in that particular case already beginning to question what God had clearly told them So we see throughout Scripture, even down to the entrance of sin into the world in Genesis 3, there is a, well, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure what God said. There's a questioning. But it had been clear. We can move on to the Mosaic Law. And we go to Numbers chapter 9 and verse number 8. And Moses said unto them, stand still and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Moses is in the point of a... Important decision, and he wants to make the right decision, and he says, I want to hear what the Lord says. Wouldn't that be a good practical way for us to avoid a lot of sins and trouble and overcoming challenges and temptations in our life just by simply, like Moses said, stand still, sit still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Deuteronomy 6, in verse number 4, Hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We go on to Joshua chapter 3, in verse number 9, And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, Come hither, and hear the words of the Lord your God. Proverbs 1, in verse number 5, A wise man, a wise man will hear, and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise Counsels, In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. We read elsewhere there in Proverbs. Listening to the right people. God-fearing people. Biblical counsel. Proverbs 1 and verse 8. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. And then we go on to the prophets in Ezekiel 2 and verse number 8. And this is not an exhaustive list, but we read in Ezekiel 2 and verse 8. But thou son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat what I give thee. Hear, receive like food and digest it and integrate it into your life. And preach it as Ezekiel would do. Hosea 4 and verse 1. Hear, The word of the Lord. We move on to the New Testament in Matthew 13 and verse number 9. He who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Do we not get the impression, do we not see the pattern in Scripture of the importance of hearing the word of God? We're not done. Mark 4 and verse 24, Jesus said to take heed what you hear. Luke 8 and verse 18. We are also to take heed on how we hear. You ever heard of selective hearing? Oh, I would deal with this. I deal with it sometimes as a pastor, but especially as a school administrator. I would say one thing, and somehow it came into like 15 different interpretations. I'd make an announcement. It'd be very clear. I'd say it in chapel. I'd have it up on the screen. And I meet a kid later on in the day, and there's like five different interpretations of what I said. And I'm like, did I, was it not on the screen? Did I, not, did I mumble when I spoke? There is nothing in between the lines, but we are like that sometimes with the word of God. Yeah, I know what you said, Lord, but really in my case, in my situation, there's a different, you know, don't you understand what I'm really going through and we don't hear, we don't receive, we want to read what our interpretation is instead of receiving and hearing and we have it with our kids. We've been guilty of it ourselves. We get in trouble sometimes because we're not really attentive, we're not really hearing, we're not really listening, not really receiving and grasping. Matthew 12 and verse 42, Jesus rebukes the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He says, the Queen of the South, talking about the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of the South shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He was rebuking them for rejecting him. Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the parables being used because they would not listen to his plain teaching. Matthew 18 speaks of church discipline and talks about the one in need of discipline, hearing the counsel, the discipline, the words, hearing, receiving, and then obviously correcting their behavior, doing something about it so that they would not be sent out of the church, disciplined out of the church. There's a warning that they are to heed, that they are to hear and change their ways. And then finally in Luke 8 and verse 21, we read, and he answered and said unto them, my mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. And finally in Luke 8, excuse me, Luke 11 in verse 28, but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it swift to hear quick to hear are we quick to hear the word of god to receive it are we attentive to the word of god in every situation of our life may we be swift to hear we'll continue with this lord willing next week and deal with slow to speak and slow to wrath lord willing next week let's bow for prayer lord these truths are so relevant Lord, in the first century, in the early days of the first century, James was concerned already about his people, about God's people hearing the word of God, applying it. About the word of God being received in general and proclaimed in truth and clarity. And yet, Lord, here in the 21st century, it is so extremely relevant. In a world of distractions and temptations, Lord, we are so inattentive to the word of God too many times. Lord, may we be swift to hear, ready to hear what you have for us. Even now in this time of invitation and closing and dedication, Lord, I pray that you will do your work in hearts if someone needs to hear, receive your words today and come to you in saving faith and turning from their sin and turning to you and your finished work on the cross and resurrection. Lord, may today be the day of their salvation. Lord, as believers, do your work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be ready to hear your word and to apply it and to live it out in obedience. And we pray this in Jesus' name.